Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This week, we have a special message from our pastor of student ministries, Joseph Ferno. Pastor Joseph will be teaching on the Lord's Prayer from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Thanks for joining us, and without further ado, here's Pastor Joseph. How many of y'all are feeling like today is pretty gloomy out, right? Yeah? I mean, you can raise your hand if you agree with me. I think it's pretty gloomy. Uh, what about how, anyone else out there pretty tired, maybe up late last night? Okay, a few of you, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a couple of my guys down there, awesome. Yeah, I, I was uh, up pretty late last night uh, getting ready for today, and so I'm pretty tired. And sometimes in, in my life, I need to do what I call manufacturing some momentum. Uh, I, I'm busy being a youth pastor. There's, there's a lot of things going on and, and I write a lot of lessons and sometimes I get writer's block or other days I'm just like tired or sometimes it's just gloomy. And sometimes like gloomy weather just kind of zaps my energy, just kind of makes me feel gloomy too. And so a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, sometimes in my life, when I'm trying to get something done or, or be creative, I have to manufacture some momentum or, or I just, I can't get going. And what I do, what works for me is, this is true, I go into a bathroom and I close the door and I put in my AirPods um, and I pump it up a little bit and I listen to an upbeat song and I dance in front of the mirror uh, for a couple minutes to get myself moving and, and feel uh, like I got some energy again. And, and I'll do that. I was doing that this week. Uh, if you were here in our building, I'm sorry if you walked by the bathroom and, and was like, what kind of ruckus is going on in there? Um, it was just me dancing. Um, and, and this morning, uh, I'm feeling tired and, and the, the weather's gloomy out there. So we're going to need to manufacture some momentum. Uh, but I know we have some, some people that were here today who grew up Baptist or you have a Baptist background and, and you don't want to dance. And, and that's okay. We're not going to dance. We're just going to do some aerobics, some exercise. Uh, so this is not dancing. It's, uh, it's exercise, right? But I'm going to need y'all, if you can stand up to stand up. Brianna's going to join me on stage. Yeah, everyone, if you can stand up, if... If you can't stand up, stay in your seat. Brianna is going to give you guidance on how to dance or how to do exercise from your seat if you can't get up or you're just too shy to stand up. But we're going to manufacture this momentum. We're going to do some church aerobics this morning, right? So just follow me. I'm going to show you exactly what to do. We're going to start simple. We're just going to march around Jericho. Let's get it going. Come on, y'all. Move those feet. Move those arms. Let's march around those walls. They're not going to fall down on their own. Play the trumpet. Shout out. There we go. Y'all are looking good. You get it? All right, now we are in church. We gotta open up those Bibles. Let's get them open. Who's got those really big Bibles at home? You gotta really get those crack those pages open. Got reading the word. Here we go. Well done, well done. Alright, here we go. Next move. You guys got this. Alright? We're gonna swim from that fish. Jumped off the boat, we're swimming to shore. Oh, but wait, there's a giant fish that's coming after us. We gotta pick up the pace, y'all. You know, I get swallowed. What is this fish doing? Oh, I don't think we're gonna make it. Y'all have to do better than that. Good job, y'all, good job. Looking good. All right, we're gonna do John the Baptist. Get all those people lining up to get baptized. You can add some flavor to it if you want. Dunk those people. They're lining up, they're coming to the river. Fun one. All right, Isaiah 40:31. That's I will soar on wings like eagles. There we go. 
He will lift you up, you will soar. How many of y'all are imagining a bald eagle? It's because you live in America. Probably wasn't a bald eagle. Good job, good job, stay with me. You're almost done, here we go, here we go. The man has fallen from heaven, bread from heaven. We gotta pick it up. Get that bread. There we go, there we go. Hey, don't collect too much. Only what you need for the day. Here we go. Great job. Y'all did a great job. You guys can sit down. That was awesome. That's what I call manufacturing some momentum. Amen? Hey, wow, that was good. Whew. Problem is, though, now y'all get to sit down and catch your breath, and I got to preach. So I don't know what I was thinking there. <laughs> um, now, I gotta let y'all know in, or I gotta let you guys in on a little secret. <sighs> Whew, I'm out of shape. That's secret number one. <sighs> Amen. Yes, thank you guys. I love the energy in here this morning. That's great. Um, so I'm not an aerobics teacher. <sighs> yeah, no, I, I, I am not an aerobics teacher. Uh, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I made up all those moves last night uh, at like 11 p.m. Um, and, uh, and just worked them out on the stage here. Uh, and I have, I have no clue if that's beneficial for your muscles. I mean, I'm sure your heart rate's up a little bit. I know mine is. But like, other than just moving a little bit, I don't know if those were working any specific muscles or, or you know, particularly beneficial for any type of, of sport or exercise. I don't know any of that. And I've, I've never led an aerobics class before, so I can put this on my resume now. Thank you, guys. Um, you might get a call. Yes, Joe's an aerobics teacher. Sign off on that. No, I'm, I'm not though, right? And if, if you did actually want to go to aerobics class, you would not want me to be the teacher. You would not want the teacher to come out of the back room and step up there and, and see me because you know you'd be doing something weird uh, <laughs> soaring around, right? I'd be a terrible aerobics teacher because I don't have any training and I don't have any experience. And if you're going to learn a skill, whether it's aerobics or carpentry or how to ride a bike, you want to learn from someone who knows what they're doing. You want to learn from someone who has some training, who maybe has a certification, or who has a lot of experience, who's been doing the skill that you want to obtain for a long time. You want to look for an expert to teach you. You don't want to learn from a novice. And so for us as a church and, and for me, uh, when Mike asked me to preach this week, knowing that it was to kick off our week of prayer and, and following his own teaching about uh, how to pray and prayer, I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to go to the Lord's Prayer, that I wanted to go to Jesus. See, a, a verse that I come back to over and over again is, is when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As much as I can in my walk with God, I want to look to Jesus and to see what he does, and then I want to imitate that. And so I can't think of any person, any, any text that would be better for us to go to as we kick off our week of prayer than the Lord's Prayer. To look to the example of Jesus and to see what he teaches about prayer. And we're going we're to look at three things this morning. I kind of want to give you the outline. We're going to start and we're going to look at, at the practice of prayer. We're going to see what practical advice Jesus has for praying. 
like how-to stuff, like stuff you can go home and you can do today to pray like Jesus. Then I want us to look at the position of prayer that Jesus teaches. What posture does Jesus expect us to have when we pray? And then finally, I wanna look at prayers for provision. How do we pray for the things that we need? Because more often than not, those are the things that we're praying about. We're asking God to provide, we're asking God to fulfill our needs. So what does Jesus teach us about prayers of provision? So we'll go through those three things and I hope that at the end, you'll be better equipped and and better motivated to, to pray this week, to make that a focal point of your walk with Jesus. So we are, we're gonna read the Lord's Prayer. And I've chosen uh, the passage from Luke. It's Luke chapter 11, uh, verses one through four. And so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to do that dance move again one more time, open up that Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, you can grab one from the seat back and follow along. That's Luke chapter 11, verses one through four. Let us read it together. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. I'm thankful for the teaching that you've given me, the ways that you help me grow. More than anything, I'm grateful that even when I am weak, you are strong. And that it's not my ability, it's not my talent, it's not my strength that you use, but my weakness. Use it again here today. Amen. I want to read uh, that passage one more time, and I would encourage you to do it with me again. I, I just think, I don't, want to, I don't want to miss things. I want to meditate on it. So let's, let's read it one more time before we start to glean things from it. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And we want to start again by looking at the practice of prayer. Looking at this prayer, looking at the example of Jesus to find practical things that we can apply to our prayer life, to how we pray. One of the things that you'll notice uh, first, if you've been at church uh, much, or, or even if you haven't, because the Lord's Prayer is, is a very famous prayer, you might have noticed it feels like something's missing from the Lord's Prayer that we just read. Might be like, hold on a second, like it seems like it's not all there. And, and you're right, that's the case. Luke in his gospel gives us kind of an abridged version of the Lord's Prayer. It's a little bit more simple. It takes out a, a couple things. Uh, the full version is in Matthew 6. I've chosen Luke, though, specifically because the Gospel of Luke is really beautiful in its approach to prayer. Luke makes an intentional choice 
to look at the times that when Jesus prays and to uh, show us as the reader how prayer was woven into everything that Jesus did. This is the first thing we can learn from the example of Jesus is to make prayer a priority. Prayer is to be a priority. We see this even in how this conversation begins. What was Jesus doing? He was praying. And after he prayed, after his disciples had observed him in prayer, one was bold enough to stop and ask and say, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so it is, it is in this example, this imitation of Jesus that this conversation, this teaching even begins. But when we take a bird's eye view of the gospel of Luke, we see that this is far from the first time that Jesus was praying. It's far from the first time his disciples had seen him pray. It's far from their first opportunity to imitate him. If you look at, let me just get this bird's eye view, you'll see that that Jesus prays at every major milestone of his ministry that he did not allow anything of significance to happen without prayer being a part of it. When he was baptized in Luke 3, he prays. Before he begins his ministry, he commits himself to God in prayer. Before he chooses his disciples, before he calls the 12 who would then be the leaders of the church upon his ascension, he went up onto a mountainside and it says he prayed all night. He prayed before making this decision. When he goes up on the mountain and he takes the three that he was closest to and he reveals himself in his full glory to those three disciples, he prays. At the Last Supper, the last shared meal between him and his disciples before his death, in preparation for the, really the trauma that his disciples would experience via the crucifixion, Jesus prays. And of course, maybe most famously in the Garden of Gethsemane, before going and taking our sin upon the cross. Jesus prays through the night with such intensity and such passion that he sweat drops of blood. Jesus prayed in every milestone of his ministry. He was known for praying. His disciples saw him do this over and over and over again. It would have been clear long before what we're reading in Luke 11 that prayer was a priority to Jesus, and that prayer should be a priority for us. So let us make prayer that priority. Secondly, as we look at the example of Jesus, we, we see that we should find an environment that is conducive to prayer. We should seek out environments that, that give us a good space to connect with God. I think it's, it's fun to call this out and then to read the Gospels and look for it. Because we see here in this passage in Luke that it says they were in a certain place. And and that's interesting. I don't really know what that that place is, that certain place. But it's it's called out for some reason. And when we look at at Jesus' life, when we look at his ministry, when we go back through the Gospels and we begin to examine, we'll notice a pattern. Even in, in Luke 5, 16, this is what it says. But now, even more, the report about him Jesus, it went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
And if you pay attention as you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus did this all the time. He was constantly going to mountainsides, to deserts, to desolate places, to certain places, and praying. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I have an active imagination. Uh, I have a lot of things going on up here, uh, a lot of ideas. And then on top of that, like ministry is, is busy, life is busy. There's a lot of things to remember, a lot of things to do, a lot of, you know, things to keep track of. And I know personally, maybe you're with me, maybe you're not, but personally, when I go to pray, that's when everything comes back to my mind. Like, all right, let me pray. Dear God, oh, don't forget to wash the dishes. Uh, did you walk the dog yet? Uh, don't forget to write that lesson. Uh, did you send a text to that leader? Did you check on that person who was sick? Like all the things that I need to do, all the things that I need to keep track of, they all flood back into my mind as soon as I settle and I begin to pray. Because there's distractions everywhere. At home, I've got two kids and two dogs and a cat running around and, and my daughter's sick today and yesterday, you know, she was just saying every 30 seconds, oh, my nose doesn't feel good. You know, there's distractions everywhere in life. There's people asking for our attention. And I don't think Jesus was easily distracted like me. I think he probably had pretty good focus. But even Jesus, we see he had people that were wanting things of him, that were demanding for his attention. He had noise in his life. Heal me, help me, teach me, all these things. And he says, I'm gonna find times to get away to desolate, distraction-free places to pray. I mean, this is why our church has this prayer room. There's not mountains and deserts in Ohio. So we needed to create a space of peace where we can go, where we can connect with God. And it's, it's not that this room is special. It's not that, that the mountainside is special. It's not that the desolate place is, is inherently more spiritual. But it's a space where we can be at peace. It's a, spe a space where we can let go of the noise that's demanding our attention and connect to God. And, and man, I want to be like Jesus. And so if, if Jesus, if God incarnate says, I'm gonna go off to mountainsides to find a space to pray, I'm gonna find a quiet space to pray, I mean, I know I need to do the same. And I hope that this week and in the future, you'll come to our prayer room and you'll take advantage of what we're trying to do in creating that space for you because it's hard to find. I also think that there's something special about the fact that Jesus went out to uh, places that we would find aesthetically pleasing, beautiful places in nature. We read Job 12, seven through 10, and it says this, ask the beasts and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea and they will declare to you, who among all these does not know the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. What this is saying is that the artist's creation reveals his heart something special about going outside, seeing the majesty of what God has done around us that helps us see his character, see his heart and connect to him. And so even if you can't come to our prayer room, go outside, go on a hike. Some of my best moments with God were just out in the woods or sitting on the hilltop in my parents' backyard and looking out over all the trees. So let's make prayer a priority and, and let's find spaces where we can pray that make it conducive. And thirdly, 
Jesus sets an example of praying simply. Sets an example of praying simply and to emphasize this beyond even the Lord's prayer in Luke, which is an incredibly simple prayer, I wanna actually go to the version in Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter six. And while we're not gonna actually read the Lord's prayer as recorded there, I want you to see that the teaching or the, the context in which this teaching is given in Matthew is a little different than in Luke. This is what it says. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so before giving them the outline of the Lord's prayer in Matthew, Jesus prefaces that with a teaching that says, hey, like, don't worry about all these words. Don't worry about all these fancy phrases. Don't worry about these long, complicated prayers. You can just pray. It can be simple. Even the full version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is four sentences. It's four sentences. It is incredibly simple. And here's the thing, I don't think that God, you know, is up in heaven, it's like, man, these people won't be quiet. I just want some peace. Like I wish they would pray shorter so I didn't have to listen all day. That's not the situation. You know, there's different types of personalities that we interact with. Uh, there's people that we could go and we could sit down at, for coffee with and, and it'd be hard to get a word in edgewise. Because man, they love to talk. They're talking all the time. They talk at, at a fast pace. It's me. But then there's other people that are, are much more reserved. They're much more quiet. I, I even have some middle school students that when they do speak a word, it's like, Hold, wait, you can talk? Like, like you can verbalize things? Like that's crazy. I had no idea. You're so quiet all the time right? And, and so there are people like that, and their prayers are probably pretty short. And that's okay. It's, it's not about the length. God's not trying to limit the length of prayers. What God is getting at, what Jesus is trying to point to, is the heart of the prayers. Because these people in Matthew 6, they were not praying in order to connect with God. They were praying for themselves. It says, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Their heart was, I can manipulate God. I can say it the right way. I've got this diverse vocabulary. I'm spiritual. I'm deep. I know what to say to get what I want from God. And simultaneously, their prayers were, were done from pride. The, the further context of that passage in, in Matthew is, is that these people, they were standing up in front of everyone. They were praying loudly for everyone to hear in order to build themselves up. They're like, man, look at my language. Look at my words. Look at how spiritual I am. You can't pray like me. Like I'm connected to God because I can pray these big prayers. What Jesus is saying is saying, no, all believers can pray. All believers can pray. Jesus is removing the barrier of spiritual language to communicate to his followers that everyone can pray. I don't know if, if there are any of you out there and, and man, in your small group sometimes, like someone else who's been a Christian for a long time, like they pray and, and man, it just seems like everything they say is perfect. And it's your turn and you're like, man, how am I supposed to follow that? Man, I can't pray like that. When I pray, it's, it's confusing and it's choppy and, and I get distracted and I blow off track and, and, and half the time I stumble over my words. Jesus is saying, that's okay. Everyone can pray. You can pray simply. 
Prayer, just pray what's on your heart. It's a big priority for me as our student ministry's pastor to teach this to our students. I want them to know that they can pray, that all believers can pray. So for a long time in our ministry, I would ask at the end of a Bible study or a group or, or whatever, hey, who wants to pray? Typically, there were no hands raised. But I realized you needed to stop doing that and just call on people to pray. So now I just say, hey, go ahead and close us in prayer. Hey, I love you. Uh, pray for this meal. My expectation, you're a believer, you can pray. You're a believer, you can pray. Doesn't matter how young, doesn't matter how long you've been in church, doesn't matter what words you can say, if you are a believer, you have access to God and it's not a skill. It's a conversation and you can pray. Second thing that we do is we do something called one sentence prayers. We teach this to our leaders. We tell them when it comes time to end a small group, everyone's gonna pray. But you're gonna set the stage. You're gonna say, listen, if you're uncomfortable praying, if you're still learning to pray, just pray one sentence. Everyone can pray one sentence and everyone will pray one sentence here. If you're a believer, you can pray. But I tell them, you are not allowed to pray more than one sentence. You will start the prayer, you will open in prayer, but you are not allowed to pray more than one sentence as the leader. And, and when you do, it cannot be a run-on sentence, like no, no finding sneaky ways to make a longer prayer. One sentence, keep it short, keep it simple. Because those kids are looking at you. They are looking to follow your example. And so if you set this high standard of, of you know, a great prayer that feels fancy, that feels spiritual and churchy, well, then they're gonna feel defeated before they've even begun to pray. But if you pray one sentence, you tell them with your example that anyone can pray, that every prayer is heard by God because he loves listening to his children. So let's pray simply. Don't let there be barriers to praying. God just wants to hear from you. Finally, on the practice of prayer, I think that there's something really interesting that, that I missed until I came to this passage uh, for study. And it's that I think Jesus is teaching us that prayer binds us as believers together. That prayer distinguishes us and binds us in a community. Look, look at the prayer one more time with me and I've highlighted some words. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. He said, teach us how to pray. And so he said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. All of the language is plural. And it's, it's so simple that I can have missed it so many times, but there's not a single individual noun in, like in this passage. It's all plural. Jesus is, is teaching that there is a communal aspect to prayer. That, that prayer, that access to the Father is something that's gonna distinguish his followers, that's gonna set them apart. And he's teaching us, even in his example, even in his model of words to pray, that we should be praying for and with each other. And it's, it's so simple and it's so subtle. But when you see it, you can't unsee it. Prayer should bind us as believers together. We should be known as people who pray with and for each other. Again, that's why we do what we do in the prayer room. That's why we have all these requ requests on the wall. 
It's a way for us to come together, to pray for each other. That's why we're doing the vigil on Wednesday. Part of that is it's, it's a time for us where we can all come together, where we can be together as we pray. So let prayer be one of those things that distinguishes our community as followers of Jesus. It binds us together. Let's pray for one another. So those are some practical tips. You can begin applying those things today. But next, I want to continue it in the Lord's Prayer, and I want to see that, that he teaches a lot about our position and our posture when we pray. And it's right here, right at the beginning. Look with me. First thing is, is that we're privileged to pray. That prayer is a privilege. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. So he begins his prayer. He teaches us to begin our prayers with a reminder of the character of God. And that character of God reveals to us that prayer is an incredible privilege because the character of God revealed in the way that Jesus begins his prayer is that God is our father and God is our king. Our father and our king. That is who we speak to when we pray. Hallowed be your name. It's kind of fancy. It just means holy, set apart. So when we begin our prayer, Jesus is reminded to say, this is your father. He is the king. He is righteous. He is holy. He is perfect. It reminds us to worship. It reminds us that when we pray, we spiritually take a step into the throne room of heaven that we spiritually enter God's presence and we speak to the king, to the one true God, to the creator of the world. And, and heaven, God's presence, the throne room, it is something that, that human minds cannot comprehend, that we cannot imagine. But the Bible reveals small pieces of heaven, of, of what it would look like. And, and if we, we begin to put those together and envision those, we would see a huge white throne and before the throne is this pool of water. And it's still. And it's crystal clear. And we look across it and we see the throne. And on either side of the pool are the apostles, are the leaders of the church, are the martyrs, are those who will lead us. And with them are angels, legions of angels, praising God. And among those angels are these creatures that are too weird and fantastic to comprehend and honestly would freak us out because they got wings and eyes and eyes on top of their wings and wings under their eyes and it's just all sorts of stuff and, and we would be overwhelmed. And then we see upon the throne is the presence of God which we can't comprehend, which John in Revelation, as he sees it, does not have good language to even begin to describe to us the picture that's before him. And he describes it as, as rainbow, as gemstones, the colors of gemstones just shooting out everywhere. There's lightning, there's thunder, there's smoke. And to us, it would appear to be chaos, but it is order. And to us, we would be frightening, but it is peace. That's a paradox of the throne room of heaven. And that is the space we enter when we pray. That is the privilege we are afforded through prayer. And yet still, 
Many of us need to be convinced to pray. We don't understand the awe of what God has given us in prayer. This is me, senior year of high school. Y'all know I'm a big Buckeyes fan. Always have been. And the highlight for me being a fan of Ohio State football was in my childhood. Early high school, late middle school. 2006, really. Troy Smith was the quarterback. And man, as a young man, I looked up to Troy Smith and held him in such esteem. His 2006 season when he won the Heisman was legendary. He never lost to the team up north. And while I'm still a fan of the Buckeyes, I will never see a player today as an adult the way I saw Troy Smith as a young man. I will never hold a player in that type of esteem. And if you, you came to me and you told me, hey, Joe, I've got an opportunity for you. Troy Smith's in town and he's invited you to go to lunch. Dude, I'm dropping what I'm doing and I'm gonna go get lunch with Troy Smith. Like, I'd be excited about that. That'd be a privilege. And why? Because he, he played a sport? Because he throws a ball better than the average person? And yet, we are told, we are given this example in Jesus that we get to enter the throne room of heaven anytime we want to speak to God about anything we need. And we're not awestruck by that. We don't hold that in wonder. We have a, a new student in our ministry. She's been coming since August. And she's really young in her faith. She kind of went in and out in church as she was growing up, but doesn't have uh, the real, real church background. And we were at a Bible study a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, at my house on a Tuesday night, and I don't even know how. These kids are always talking about all sorts of different things. But the Virgin Mary came up. And she's like, wait a minute, like how, how did Jesus get into Mary? Like how did that work? And I'm like, okay, well, the Holy Spirit did a miracle and Mary conceived Jesus through his power even though she was a virgin. And this girl was like, what? I believe she said, you're tripping. <laughs> but I, I tried to reiterate again, I was like, no, like, so she was a virgin. She had never been with Joseph, but God did a miracle and conceived Jesus in Mary. She was amazed. She thought that was weird. Most of us in this room don't think that's weird, and, and that's weird. She was in awe because of what God did, because she saw it with fresh eyes. She didn't look at a miracle and go, oh, ho-hum, 50th time hearing about that. She had those fresh eyes. She had a heart that was still in awe of the things that God can do, of the gifts that he has given us. And man, I, I hope for you that somehow today I can, I can help restore that sense of awe about the miracle of prayer and the privilege we have to speak to the king. There's a reason that we have that privilege. It's that word at the beginning very first word Jesus speaks, Father. These are my kids. This is my sweet daughter, Maisie, and my big boy, Shiloh. Man, I have my heart. You see, the position of father always trumps the position of king. 
See, I don't care what worldly positions you give me. I don't care if I become someday the CEO of the biggest company. I don't care if I become president of the United States. I don't care if my office is the Oval Office. If my kids come and knock at the door, they get in. They get to come into that space because my position as father will always trump every other position I hold. And so for us, we don't get to pray. We don't get to enter the throne room of heaven because, because we have qualifications or because we've done good things or, or because we deserve it. We get to enter the throne room of heaven because Jesus says, you are God's son. You are God's children. And yes, he is the king, but he is your father. And so you get to enter that room. You get to enter that space. God will listen to anything that you have to say because he loves you as his child. And so when we pray, we get to do the complicated paradox of, of holding these two things in tension of knowing that the one we are speaking to is, is holy and righteous and good and above all things, and yet he is our father and he loves us. That is the position that Jesus teaches us to take when we pray. Lastly, we see that God teaches us about prayers of provision. The most common prayers, the prayers that we're most familiar with, God, I need things. And, and Jesus gives us a model for how to do this in the Lord's Prayer. It's not necessarily what we would expect though. Let's take a look and then we'll dive in. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So first, before our own needs, Jesus says, pray your kingdom come. Pray for the mission of Jesus Christ. The mission of Jesus was to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And he did that in one sense, in an incomplete sense, in his life. And he will complete that work when he returns. But he came to bring the kingdom, not as the Israelites anticipated, not as a military power, but the kingdom of God came to earth when Jesus was here. And he says, before you look to your own needs, before you look to your own things, participate in my mission with me. That is your first need. That is your first request. And Jesus was in the business of inviting people to do this with him. He didn't need the disciples and they weren't well trained. They didn't have any great qualifications, but he said, come on. Come with me, participate in my mission. And he says to all of us, come and participate in my mission of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Of making earth look a little bit more like heaven. And one of the simplest, easiest ways we can participate with Christ in that mission is through prayer. Jesus teaches you can participate in my mission when you pray. And I love what Pastor Mike taught last week and I love that concept of having those three names in our minds, in front of us, to remember, to pray for those people, to pray for the lost. That's where we should begin when we, begin, when we bring our request to God, is saying, God, move. God, help these people who are lost. God, bring healing to this person who is sick. So let's start there when we pray, by participating in the mission. Then Jesus moves to our own needs. 
Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus teaches a model for, for three requests and it's not extensive and you don't have to pray these words exactly, but three general petitions, three general things to pray for about our spiritual and physical needs. First is our daily bread. Second is forgiveness from sin. Third is protection from temptation. And yeah, like Jesus wants to hear our needs. He wants us to bring these things. He wants us to just talk to him and, and tell him the things that we need. But I want, you to, I want you to recall what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, your father already knows what you need. We don't pray these prayers because they're the magic words that unlock the box for us to get what we need. God already knows, and he's our loving father. He's not waiting on us to act. He doesn't need us. He's not up in heaven like, would you please pray so that I can finally start moving? No, like, if he wants to move, he's going to move. It's not about getting these things. What Jesus is teaching is what's important is the asking, because the asking shapes our hearts. Because when we ask for the things that we need, it roots out pride from our hearts and it places us in a position of dependence on God. Look at each of these with me. Because our needs are revealed or reveal our dependence on God. So first, daily bread. You can replace daily bread with with anything you need. It can be money, a new car, energy, happiness, whatever. Whatever physical thing you need fits in that model but it reveals our daily dependence on God because he says, give us each day our daily bread. We did the collecting the manna. How much came each night? Only enough that they should collect for what they need for that day. Think of when Jesus sent out the disciples to go door to door evangelizing. He said, do not even take food with you. Over and over and over again in scripture, Jesus teaches us that we are dependent on God. And yet foolish humans that we are, we think we can provide for ourselves. We think we are holding ourselves up. We think we are accomplishing what we need on our own. Jesus says, no, when you pray, remind yourself, remind your heart, shape your heart so that it depends on God. Each day, this was, this was a prayer to be said, each day. And and Jesus doesn't model and say, pray for the things you need next week. Pray for the things you need tomorrow. Pray for the things you need each day. Because Jesus was teaching that we depend on God every single day. There's never a moment we are are not dependent upon him. He teaches us that physically, and then he goes on and and he looks spiritually, and, and he teaches us to ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. And this is not a first time prayer. This is not a a Lord, I submit my life to you. Forgive me my sins, salvation prayer. No, this is a a prayer to be prayed on a regular basis. It's not about coming to Jesus and saying, oh, like I need you to forgive me again. And if I don't pray this, your forgiveness isn't isn't gonna take action. Isn't gonna cover my sins of the day. No, it's, it's a reminder that Christ covers our sin. It's a reminder for us to say, I I'm a sinner, I am broken, but daily Jesus forgives my sins. Because the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers on the cross isn't just a past. 
doesn't just act, like take action over the past. The forgiveness of Jesus forgives everything that we'll ever do, past, present, future. So every day we remind ourselves, God, I, I've messed up today. God, I have sinned today. God, I've made mistakes. God, I, I've done a thing that I, I, I didn't want to again. I'm, I'm still in this cycle. God says, I forgive you. My forgiveness is sufficient for every day. Not just the day you accepted me. Ephesians reminds us of this as well. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Finally, the final line, and lead us not into temptation. Seeking God's protection. It's reminding our hearts that we can't do it on our own. That it's not our efforts it's not our skills or abilities. It's not, it's not the, the drive that we have that gives us freedom from evil, that gives us freedom from our flesh. It's not buckling down and driving our heels in and saying, I won't sin anymore. I won't screw up anymore. That temptation will not rule over me. That's not what saves us. It is only the protection of God. So daily we petition him and we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Protect us from temptation. So these prayers for God's provision are not about getting what we want. It's not about getting what we need. It's, it's not about saying a magic word. It's about our hearts. Jesus models a prayer for us that when we pray it daily, we'll daily speak the gospel into our own souls and into our own minds and remind us that we are completely dependent on him for our needs, for our salvation, for our daily protection. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.